Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Hi, writers. Welcome to episode number 30 of How Do You Write? I am so glad you're here. Today, my interview is with the awesome Aya de Leon. You are going to really enjoy listening to her. I love the way that she looks at and talks about writing. I know that you will too. Um, Today's update, personally, will be a little bit shorter than last week's because last week's was all about Rachel all the time. Thank you for indulging me. It really did feel a little bit self-indulgent to do that episode, but I liked doing it. It made me look at where I had been and where I am going with this year and... I do love the start of a new year. I'm still fully feeling the freshness of 2017, even though um, the news is batshit nuts. Um, Yeah, I don't, I, I, we're not even going to touch the Trump thing because there's not enough Lysol in the world. Um, I've already made it really clear about my politics. If you don't like them, see ya. Um, but uh, all that, all the politics stuff this week is crazy. Um, so let's think about writing. Let's get our minds <laughs> out of the go- golden shower hotel room image, which is now seared into our brains as a collective world. Oh, and uh, think about writing, which is actually much more interesting and um, it's better for us really. Uh, so, um, personal news. Oh, this is exciting. And this may be of interest to you. If you already listened to this podcast, I have perhaps started another podcast. It is with, um, Jay Thorne. Please ignore my dog who's barking out there. She's trying to get into the office and I'm not letting her. Uh, Jay Thorne was on this podcast earlier. Um, I can't remember what episode it was, but maybe 10 episodes or so ago. And he and I really hit it off. Um, I love that guy. We have way too much fun together. Our chemistry is fantastic. I just want to hang out with him. And so a podcast is kind of a good way to hang out with somebody. And um, it's short, just like this one. We talk about writing, we talk about the business. Um, I made the jump to full-time writing in April of 2016. He is making it later this year. So we're kind of walking through that uh, veil together. And um, it's just super fun. And it is called The Pedal to the Metal. I'm the pedal. He's the metal. And you can find us at thepedaltothemetal.com. Um, we're already on iTunes and Stitcher. Please... Feel free to help yourself to the fun that we are having over there already. So it would be great to have you. And what else? Um, My copy edits landed, which was unexpected. And I had kind of forgotten that I had an entire book's worth of copy edits out there. And uh, my copy editors for Random House Australia are fantastic. Um, Lex and Alex, who she works with, they do this, they do this real great, it's practically a developmental edit, although I've already had the developmental edit from my um, editor of the book, but they do such a great job. And this is the, the reason I'm saying that is because I always think that copy edits are like page proofs that I will flip, 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 flip through 
their their um their pages i will accept all changes uh they're moving commas around and fixing missing words except it's not like that it's a lot bigger and a lot broader and i have to think and i can't do it in an hour like i always tell myself i'm going to be able to do so suddenly copy edits are eating up most of this week um i should be done with them later today or tomorrow so uh that was an unexpected kind of what do they call the stick in the stick in the bicycle spokes i i i'm i'm missing what i need to be saying i must be a writer um but that's okay because I'm still plowing ahead with plans and plotting and um, just having a general good old time with the writing as usual. And oh, I have a book coming out next week, um, which as I record, it is January 11th. Um, the book is called Build It Strong and that comes out on January 17th. And I was in a webinar earlier this week in which the host, Megan O'Toole, whom I worship, and she again mentioned that you need to have a social media strategy. And it's so hard. I am on all the platforms. I am good at some. I am terrible at others. Um, And but but everything that she was saying just made sense. Again, social media is easier if you have a plan. So now on Mondays, I'm sitting down and I'm sketching out my social media plan for the rest of the week. And when I sat down this Monday, I realized that, holy hell, I have a book coming out next week and I have done almost nothing to promote that book coming out. I might have actually done nothing. Not almost nothing. I've done nothing. Uh, So I made a quick graphic on Canva of the book that comes before the book that's coming out next week. And I said, you know, I said it's tagline, The Bachelor Meets the Property Brothers. And I said, buy it now before the next book comes out um, next week. And this morning when I looked at my sales, I was like, holy cow, I sold a lot more. Oh, because I put it on social media and people were thinking about it and they clicked and bought. And it's such an easy thing to do. And it is such an easy thing to procrastinate doing. So I am trying to be better in that regard. Um, That is all my news, I think. I just wanted to quickly thank a new patron, Greg Hannigan. I want to say that your patronage means so much to me, both personally and professionally. Uh, That is huge that you want to give a dollar or two or three a month um, to support me writing these essays on creativity. And I would also like to correct something that I said in the last episode. Um, Mariah pointed out to me that Patreon is not a tip jar. And that's something I forget. It is not a tip jar. She said, uh, Patreon is not your tip jar. It's good, honest payment for the stellar essay writing you do and the vital inspiration it delivers to your readers. So heck yeah, that's what it is. Um, Thank you, patrons, with all my heart as usual. Now, please hop right into the interview section and enjoy the conversation with Aya de Leon, and we'll talk soon. Hey, and I also wanted to mention that the quality on the audio recording of our interview is not great. It is my fault, not Aya's. And in fact, she saved the day by having an extra piece of recording software that captured our recording. I apologize for the quality, but please listen because it is awesome. You will enjoy it anyway. Okay, here we go. Hey, you're a writer. 
Did you know that I send out a free weekly email of writing encouragement? Go sign up for it at rachelherron.com slash write. And you'll also get my stop stalling and write PDF with helpful tips you can use today to get some of your own writing done. Okay, now on to the interview. So I am going to jump right in because I've been desperate to talk to Aya DeLeon, who is a fantastic writer. And um, I'm just, Aya, if you don't mind, I'm going to give you a little introduction. Great. Aya DeLeon directs the Poetry for the People program at UC Berkeley. Kensington Books published her debut feminist heist novel, yes, you heard that correctly, called Uptown Thief, which was wonderful in July 2016. Her writing and performance work has received acclaim in The Village Voice, Washington Post, The Oakland Tribune, San Francisco Chronicle, East Bay Express. She is a graduate of Harvard College with an MFA from Antioch University. She's been an artist in residence at Stanford, a Kali Khanum poetry fellow, and a slam poetry champion. She publicly married herself in the 90s and from 95 to 2012 hosted an annual Valentine's Day show that focused on self-love. She also blogs and tweets about culture, gender, and race. Aya, thank you so much for battling technology in order to do this. Oh, it's my pleasure. (laughs) Well, How Do You Write? The podcast is all about your particular process. And I just enjoyed your voice so much in Uptown Thief, and I would love to talk to you about that. What is the best time of day for you to write, and where? Well, um, back in my youth, no, back before I had a kid, I was definitely Uh a morning writer, and morning just made a huge difference to my writing. And I'm a morning person in general. Um, I will say, after becoming a mom, I have become a when-I-can writer. So for quite some time I was the best time of day was when my daughter was napping and she would sleep in a carrier on my chest when she was a baby and I would write 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 um and I now have the capacity to write in the evening um sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night if I can't sleep I'm like well then let me just get to it um but (laughs) so parenting is I love I love stealing that kind of time uh yes exactly so parenting has definitely changed my overall writing, but I'm definitely, um, when left to my own devices and uh, don't have uh, obligations that shift things otherwise, I'm definitely a morning writer. And how do you write when you get to the page? Are you longhand or computer? I was a holdout from longhand for, for years, you know, Maybe a decade, I only wrote longhand, and I took the opportunity of typing it into a computer, because I would revise on a computer. It was much faster. The thought of typing a whole manuscript more than once seemed daunting, although some people find that that's an incredible revision opportunity. It is not for me. Um, But I I used to write longhand in my 20s and then type it in, and that was a great revision opportunity. Now I definitely compose on the computer, and I work a lot in Word, although recently I've become a super fan of Scrivener for outlining. I love Scrivener. Yeah. I, Ooh, don't, I yeah. don't think I understand everything that I could understand about Scrivener and know all of the ways that it can be great, but I usually do sort of some initial outlining in Word, then I put the Word outline in Scrivener, then I write the first draft in Scrivener and export it back to Word. That's that's very, very close to what I do. And, yeah, I don't use all the bells and whistles either myself. There's a lot in there that that I could use, but I don't love to. 
how do you, how do you refill the creative well for yourself when you're running dry? Ah, huh. I um, you know, this is such an interesting question. I think the thing that I have to say is I'm not sure that I um really run dry in terms of the creative well, in part because I'm an idea person. So I just have so many ideas. I really have more ideas than I have time to write. Um, And I'm not sure why that is, but I'm one of those people for whom the struggle isn't to get the idea. It's really to get the idea into language that communicates it to other people. People like me who are not idea people are always so jealous of people like you. <laughs> I, have a, I, have a, I have a good friend, and I'll just sit down with her, and I'll spitball one idea at her, and she'll throw 12 amazing ideas back at me, which I never would have had, and they just pour out of her. So that is really cool that you have that. Yeah, I think one thing that I will say for myself is um, – I've always been an idea person, but it's really only in the past, I would say, three to five years that I've been able to have the craft to execute. So it's been, um, so I think while there's the frustration of having a dry well, that's a particular frustration, I think for me the frustration has been like like the opposite i feel i've felt waterlogged like i just had all these mm. ideas inside me and i couldn't figure out how to get them out of me and into a format that it could go out to the world so i felt very backlogged very waterlogged um so I it's been a very specific painful frustration too yes it it's a particular frustration um and and even in the past when i had the time it was like i just I didn't have the skill, and slowly, even as I developed the skill, I didn't have the pathways. So I feel like now yeah. I'm more of a, you know, I'm slowly becoming like a, a water system, right? Where like stuff can, I the, love that. It can come out of the well and then irrigate whatever it needs to go out and irrigate. Yeah, so that's been exciting. That's a great metaphor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah awesome. I know. That's like, hmm, I think my metaphor is working. <laughs> <laughs> what is the worst writing advice you've ever been given? Oh, you know, the worst writing advice I think I was ever given was um, that if I was a serious writer that I should stay away from genre fiction because that would kill any oh. hope I had of being taken seriously. And I think, you know, the, the that advice was given by a woman of color, and I think that she meant well, but if I were to edit her, what I would say instead, right, um, as opposed to the don't do it, I would give the constructive confrontation. Also, this was advice given years ago when that was more true. And the advice I would give would be something like, um, be, know that in the, in the literary industry, it's an apartheid structure where there are books that are considered important, good, and serious, and they're called literary fiction um, in the world of novels. And then there are books that are considered trashy and of little intellectual value, and they're called genre fiction. More people read genre fiction, 
A much smaller group of people read literary fiction. Plenty of people read both. There are books that are trashy and cliche in both <laughs> in both uh, mm-hmm. fields um, or in both genres. Absolutely. And, um, and that there are traps. There are different kind of traps, particularly for women and people of color in both arenas. And just think about yeah. it. Like what I would say instead is just think about it. Know that there are dangers of being taken, of not being taken seriously as a genre writer and that there can be um, downsides depending on the kind of career you want to have and the audience you want to speak to. And there are also downsides of being a literary writer, particularly as a person of color, you can get very disconnected from your community and mm-hmm. um, be sort of positioned such that you're being read by a lot of white audiences but not being read by people of color and not being uh, set up in um, in your work in conversation with people of color. So there are different traps and different downsides. Um, as a genre writer, you might make a lot of money. You might not make a lot of money. Um, but there's definitely more potential for commercial success there. So yeah, I would have Absolutely. I would have laid it out a little bit more like that to, to yeah. look at both. And I love sides. that way of laying it out. It's it's about it's about being educated and knowing what those traps are in order to 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 extend this metaphor in order to build those bridges across those those pitfalls. That's right. And I think, um, you know, it's interesting. So I was given the advice many years ago when I was writing a mystery that was going to be the beginning of a mystery series. And I wrote that mystery and I put it aside because I was like, well, you know, this is literary suicide and I don't want to commit literary suicide. And I started working on a, a literary novel or I don't know that I would really refer to it as a literary novel. I would just say it was a novel that didn't have um, any particular genre to it. Mm-hmm. And um, what's interesting is when, you know, 15 years later, um, maybe even more, maybe closer to 20 years later, when I went back to those novels I had worked on in my early 20s, the the genre novel just didn't speak to me. So I thought that was interesting. You know, I had been passionate yeah. about it at the time, and I had put it aside thinking, well, let me at least put out one literary novel so I can get taken seriously and then I'll come back to the genre. Right. And yet that original genre novel, it, it didn't speak to me. It didn't stand the test of time, whereas the literary novel did. Ironically, I ended up publishing genre fiction first anyway, something completely different, Uptown Thief, which is not a mystery, yeah. it's a heist. But, um, yeah, so things did come around. So I wouldn't say that that advice was overall bad or wrong or had no, no merit, but I do think that um, – it's more useful to help people understand their options than just to sort of frighten them with uh, gloom and doom predictions. Absolutely. I love that. What secret writing tip of awesomeness have you discovered Uh, the hard way? uh, I would definitely say what I've discovered the hard way is um, the hero's journey arc. When I started Mm. Uptown Thief, it just, you know, I mean – it had structurally like there was a there was some general romantic structure 
and some general heist structure and some <laughs> general thriller mm-hmm. structure, but it didn't have a strong character arc. Um, and mm. it got much better when I got that character arc in there. And so now I've been working on a number of novels since, and each one, you know, I go into that hero's journey. And, okay, how do we, you know, where are we going? <laughs> Who's showing up? Uh, you know, the 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 ordinary world, the refusal of the call, all of that has been really mm-hmm. helpful in structuring uh, books. And so I spent eight years struggling uh, to get Uptown Thief into the formula, the sort of uh, genre template that I developed. I mean, it's a hybrid genre and some part right. of it, you know, the romantic suspense is nothing new. But there's, you know, there's a particular thing like this very political, sexy, heist thriller. And so I've kind of created a template which I can now recreate. Um, and the hero's journey has been great, really, really helpful, particularly um, – with this young adult novel that I'm working on now, tentatively called Going Dark, a teen black girl spy novel. Um, that was just, mm. the hero's journey is great. And uh, also helpful with um, the sequel or the next book in the series uh, with Uptown Thief, the Justice Hustlers series. The next book is called The Boss, and Taisha gets and her own And that comes book. out next year, right? Yes, that comes out in June oh, of 2017. Okay. So very quick. Awesome. <laughs> Which is the other gift well, of genre I, fiction, right? In genre fiction, those presses yes. want to get that stuff out there. So, you know, my yes. books are coming out 11 months apart, which, you know, in to my literary fiction colleagues, they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, but in genre fiction, like, that's long. You're making your, your audience wait a long time. They'd rather have them out every six to eight months, which to me is really and the, awesome. Yeah, the readers are ravenous, which is awesome for the bottom line, too. And I, mm-hmm. I also write genre fiction, and I yeah. absolutely feel that. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. And I, and I love what you say about formula, too. It's, it's when I finally figured out my way into these books and yeah. my formula, the, the formula actually made the books more resonant and more realistic. It's, yes. it's, it, it's, by using a formula, you become less formulaic, I think, mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. I think that's super interesting. Can you give us a quick craft tip of any sort? Oh, yeah. I just, I don't know if this is officially a craft tip. I think in some ways it's more a pro- productivity tip. But I'm just the world's biggest it. fan of NaNoWriMo. And I believe in Oh, NaNo- I love NaNoWriMo. Yes, and I've just decided my yeah. new... My new thing is to adopt NaNoWriMo as a lifestyle. But, you know, any time of yeah. year I'm... I'm liable to just say I'm going to take the next 30 days to bang out a first draft. I think it's just great. Yes. It's fantastic. I'm on the writer's board, and my first published novel was actually my first NaNoWriMo That's so great. Yeah. um, Yeah, it's it's so cool. And I just and and the book that I just finished in 30 days in November, I I was just finishing editing it, and it's good. I think there's just such raw raw talent and excitement and and strength that goes into those books. So yeah, I'm so glad I, you like it. Oh yeah. And I um because I I similarly in November I I did a NaNoWriMo novel and you know, gave it an edit, like, you know, a second draft edit of just a couple of days yeah. cleaning up. Because when I go through in my initial draft, 
there are some things that I just can't wrap my mind around in the moment. And I'll be like, um, you know, I'll say something like, describe the beautiful park they're in. Like, I just don't want to sit down. Yes. And, I don't want to slow down and visualize a park and figure out how to exactly. work it in. I just want to keep going like action, dialogue, action, dialogue, minor description, action, dialogue. Yes. That's how I get through that first draft. And then, you know, so I, I just write in big caps, describe her or you know, exactly what I do. <laughs> exactly. And then you can go back through and the, fill those things in. But the thing that's been so interesting is, the you know, that's what they say. Like, the more you write, the better you get. And so I've done several NaNoWriMo drafts over the last six years. And funny thing, as time goes on, those first drafts come out more and more polished because I am a better writer. And so that's been I great. love that. <laughs> that is what I that's what I preach the most is the more we write the better we oh get. Oh my god. Just, just just sitting down at the page. So this November I hammered out a draft of this young adult spy novel that I've been, you know, had in my head and I outlined it really well and thoughtfully. And then I wrote, you know, I wrote the draft and then gave it a couple of days. And I was really shocked. Like, I sent a draft to my agent just to see, like, am I on the right track here? Like, you know, is this readable? Does this make sense? Does this seem like I'm going in a good direction? And she was like, wow, this is actually pretty close. She said, you know, I think we can send this out at the beginning of the year. And so for me, you know, Uptown Thief took eight years. The sequels are under contract, so they're not having to go out. I'm just working with the one editor. But it was kind of mind-blowing to think that, you know, through the practice of NaNoWriMo, not only have I learned, you know, and writing these other novels, not only have I learned to write quickly, but I've learned to really sink in in these scraps of time in a busy life to really engage in a first draft that's much closer to being – polished work than I really thought so that's just it's exciting you know and it's and and it's I I think that's the thing that's amazing is you know the investment in you know investing decades of work into fiction uh you know it's like the Buddhist uh tale of the raft you spend all this time building this raft and you're building it you're building it and then you're like digging your pole into the mud and pulling down the river but then at some Mm. point the current takes you right and you're just chilling and so I feel like that's the that's what's been really good for me is like the combination of the investment in the writing but also the investment for me in the emotional work of you know fighting those places where um that lack of confidence in myself. It doesn't mean like, oh, I have high self-esteem at all times. It just means that I've learned to detach from those critical voices and just go for it, right? And so the payoff has been lovely. Detaching from that from that voice that uh, that voice of doubt is so huge, yeah. absolutely enormous. And I wish it was. I wish it was just something that we could, you know, sell to new writers. Right. You know, here's how you here's how you detach that from your brain. But I think right. maybe. The more we hear it, the more we talk about it. Then at yeah. least when those voices come up in a new writer's brain, they go, okay, this is normal. This is mm-hmm. this is the way it feels. Yeah, yeah. and, and um, as a, oh, and I was just going to say, as I say to folks, like, the first draft, there's nothing, you have nothing to clean up. Like, make a mess. So then you have something to clean yes. up and make better. 
Yes, absolutely. It's getting that clay on the wheel. It doesn't look That's good right. when you put it on the wheel. That's you right. Spin it into shape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On really bad days, if you couldn't write or teach in 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 around words, what other profession would you choose? Um, as as a younger person, I used to always have a fantasy of having um, a profession that didn't involve any paper. <laughs> I wanted something with no paper. Um, I think. <laughs> In um, one was cosmetology. I was like, I'll just do people's hair. They'll come in, they'll sit down, I'll do their hair. I also have to say, like, the job that I probably loved the most back in the day was being a day camp counselor. I loved that. There was no paper. So it was like teaching because you got to be around young people all day. But it was like summer, so you didn't have to teach them anything. And you're you just playing. did fun activities outside, yeah, in beautiful weather. I would definitely, I that would be so fun. <laughs> I want someone to have a day camp for me. You know? I know, <laughs> that right? Sounds awesome. Run up day camp. An adult day camp. So fun. If, you, if you're starting over as a brand new baby writer right now, what advice would you give yourself? God. I think it would be, you know, this. It would be um, to to write, to just go for it, you know, and write in big chunks quickly. And I think that would have been really fun. I think the other thing that I would have um, encouraged myself is from very, very early on, I just couldn't write short stories. I only had ideas for novels. And Mm. it felt really awkward. I still, you know, I feel pleased with the novels I've written, but I just can't write a short story. And I think part of it is because is this idea thing, you know, that I have Mm. this, like, this bubble of ideas. Um, I don't usually have an idea that's sort of like a contained idea that I can play with in a small container. And I would have just told myself, like, don't worry about that. You're going to be fine. <laughs> because I felt, oh, I know. It felt awkward as a, as a new writer to have this sort of huge <laughs> idea that I had. You know, with a short story, you might have, like, you know, an idea that weighs a pound and you have, like, half a pound worth of yeah. craft skills and you can uh, get it together and for me I just had these like 100 pound ideas and I had my half a pound of craft skills that looked like I'm never going to be able to execute this so it took some decades but you know I have now been become uh, able to have the craft skills to execute these ideas which is like I said really fun now but it was very daunting then I think that's another real strong point of Nana where I don't want to think about it because Nano says to people, bring your 100 pounds of ideas and your half a pound of craft because craft doesn't matter right now. Yeah. Just getting the ideas onto the page, which is yes. kind of the magic of Nano. Yeah. Well, oh, that's so awesome. Well, um, where can we find you? What would you like to tell us about now? Where can we find me? Ooh, well, as I mentioned, or as you mentioned, my book, Uptown Thief, is out. Uh, the sequel. Go so fun, you guys. Go so fun. It, it's really, I had so much fun writing it. Um, and <laughs> the sequel, The Boss, which is Taisha's book, um, comes out in June of 2017. And uh, be on the lookout. Hopefully something will happen with this uh, black girl, young adult spy novel. And uh, yeah, that. and I'm also, you know, you can keep up with the latest. Uh, going on in my world at ayadeleon.com or um, I'm on Twitter uh, always uh, with a with an eclectic mix of writing stuff, political stuff, feminism, mom stuff uh, at ayadeleon. 
perfect. Thank you so much for helping me overcome these technological difficulties today and being patient with me. And I've wanted to talk to you for so long, and this has just been such a treat, Aya. Oh, the treat. Really uh, the pleasure has it. been mine, and we've got to help each other through these technological glitches. I would just yes. If I were left to my if I left to my own devices, I'd still be writing in DOS on a on a two eighty six um desktop. So yes, yes. We've got to band exactly. together. All right. Well thank you, Aya, and we'll talk soon. Happy happy writing to you. Yeah. Same to you. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. Thank you.